prone to wander. Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. Here's my heart. Oh, take and seal it. Seal it for thy courts above. For those who recognize lyrics to hymns, that stanza comes from that well-beloved and well-known hymn, Come Thou Fount. I don't know if you've ever paid attention before, but as a pastor, I, I do pay attention to certain hymns and certain songs on when the congregation begins to pick up some momentum. Every church kind of has their hymn, their song that they seem to kind of, you know, bring the lights down, if you will. But one of those songs is Come Thou Fount. It's unusually loud for most congregations when they sing those particular lyrics. It's particularly passionate. It's a unique time in singing that hymn that the congregation just seems to have their hearts stirred in a new way. People in the church who tend to even be a little quieter, a little more timid in the singing portion of the service, suddenly begin to perk up. They start paying attention and engaging with the song when they hear those words. Prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. Here's my heart, O take and seal it. Seal it for thy courts above. But why is that? Why would words like prone to wander? Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. Why on earth would words like that cause a Christian to sing? Of all words, why is singing that part of the hymn usually sung with conviction and gusto? Well, it's honest. It tells the story of what's really going on in someone's heart. It tells the story of what many of our hearts sound like in almost any given week. The people who most resonate with this hymn sing untethered from caring about what other people think because it puts into words what their hearts are crying out and feeling. You see, they are feeling tempted to throw in the towel, feeling tempted to quit, feeling tempted to be done with following Jesus, done with the church, done with fighting sin, done with obeying Jesus. But notice I said feeling tempted. That means it actually hasn't happened yet. This morning we were studying Mark 9, verses 14 to 29. And this is precisely, just with different words, but really the same kind of heart that we heard from a desperate and disoriented father. A father whose son, and as we know from Luke's gospel, it was his only child, had been suffering immensely his whole life. Seizures violent convulsions, foaming at the mouth. And on top of that, he can't speak. He can't hear. Mark tells us on top of all that, he was also spiritually tormented by a demonic spirit. 
The child was utterly helpless. And the father, like any good dad would do, speaks up for his son because his son can't speak for himself. When he tells Jesus that his disciples couldn't help him or heal his boy, Jesus utters a cry of grief. There's unbelief from the scribes. There's unbelief from the crowds. Now there's unbelief even from the own men he's been discipling for a number of years. These disciples had failed this father's expectations. They couldn't do what they said they could do. And they too were learning that even failure can be used for good in our lives. As we learned this morning, failures can be used, if you look at them redemptively, to teach us humility. Let me say that again. Failure, if looked at redemptively, that means through Christian lenses, can actually be used to teach us humility, to teach us how to have a greater dependence on God than we had before. And here the father in Mark 9 was completely out of options. All he had to run to and cling to was the compassion of Jesus Christ. Listen again to the, an excerpt from this morning's passage, just to hear it afresh as we think about the life of our own church. Mark 9, verses 21 to 24. And Jesus asked his father, how long has this been happening to him? And he said, from childhood. And it has often cast him into fire and into water to destroy him. But if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. And Jesus said to him, if you can, all things are possible for one who believes. Immediately the father of the child cried out and said, I believe. Help my unbelief. I believe. Help my unbelief. Friends, have you ever said that? As I mentioned this morning, this past week, I reflected back on my 23rd Christian birthday. Again, I'm not 23. Thanks for the compliments. But as I've looked back over my 23-year journey as a Christian, it's been filled with crossroads where I have said those same words, maybe in a different way. I believe, Lord, but help my unbelief. See, as followers of the Lord Jesus Christ, we will find ourselves time and time again standing at the crossroads of faith and unbelief. And we will do so until we finish the Christian race. As I stated again this morning, God's word provides the truth and wisdom and guidance for our lives as we walk by faith and not by sight. And yet, Christians who are honest will recognize and admit life is still full of situations that are somewhat mysterious. It's not absent of perplexity. Our lives are not absent of paradox. Sometimes we don't know the answer. We're not sure how this is going to work out for good in the end. So if this crossroads of faith and unbelief are true for all of us to lesser and greater degrees, how do we practically do this then? 
how do we actually choose the path, choose the road that Jesus is on saying, believe. All things are possible for the one who believes. Lean into belief and give Jesus. Ask for his help with your unbelief. How do you do that? How do we not get comfortable with living with unbelief? How do we not get comfortable kind of feeding that unbelief? I mean, I'll be honest with you. When when I've talked to people who have basically drifted away from the faith or they are icy cold spiritually, usually the story is that they've isolated themselves for a long period of time. They have removed themselves from the bonfire of Christian fellowship, gospel preaching, accountability, and it just gets really cold. You go out in the world and you try to live for Christ all by yourself, you're going to get icy cold, and it's going to happen before you know it. So how exactly do we not slide into and get comfortable with our unbelief, but actually lean into and say, Lord, I believe, but help my unbelief? In other words, how do we exemplify this humble dependence that Jesus is talking about in Mark 9? Some things cannot be driven out. This kind cannot be driven out except by prayer. If you have your evening service packet with you, please turn to page 7. Looks like this, got a little gray background. Title of it's called, We've Been Approaching It All Wrong. Common Misunderstandings That Christians Have of Church Membership. Now, page seven is an excerpt. I didn't write this, nor Jansen. This is an excerpt from a book written by Jonathan Lehman, Blue Magic, that Leslie picked up, the blue one. So if you're like, ooh, I like this one page, well, there's a whole book you could read to read more about it. Uh, Jonathan wrote this book, Church Membership, How the World Knows Who Represents Jesus. I just want to read these bullet points out loud. And just, I mean, it's a small setting. You know, this isn't overly formal. Uh, we'll have some mics ready, at least one or two. Uh, I'm going to read these bullet points, and I want you to ask yourself as I'm reading them, if any of these points resonate with you, whether it was when you were a baby Christian, a deceived, self-professed Christian, or even just in the last six months of your life (laughs) as you're reading these things, the Lord just kind of convicts you or goes, you know what, that was definitely me, or I've definitely said that, or I kind of still believe that. Or maybe even people that you've tried to minister to. Common misunderstandings that people have of church membership. Christians can think it's fine to attend church indefinitely without joining. Christians think of getting baptized apart from joining. Christians take the Lord's Supper as their own private mystical experience for Christians and not as an activity for church members who are incorporated into body life together. Christians don't integrate their Monday to Saturday lives with the lives of other saints, or sorry, Monday to Sunday lives with the lives of the other saints. Christians assume they can make a perpetual habit of being absent from the church's gathering a few Sundays a month or more. Christians make major life decisions, moving, accepting a promotion, choosing a spouse, etc., without considering the effects of those decisions on the family of relationships in the church or without consulting the wisdom of the church's pastors and other members. Christians buy homes or rent apartments with scant regard for how factors such as distance 
and cost will affect their abilities to serve their church. Christians don't realize that they are partly responsible for both the spiritual welfare and the physical livelihood of the other members of their church, even members they have not met. When one mourns, one mourns by himself. When one rejoices, one rejoices by herself. Uh, Anyone just have a mic brought to you? Any of those resonate with you? Maybe a way that you used to think about living the Christian life? Maybe it's been more recent that God's convicted you, or maybe even people you've tried to minister to. Just raise your hand, a mic will be brought to you. It doesn't have to be long, just any of those resonate with you. Michaela is right there with the mic. Grant Trotter, I'm going to voluntold you. He just read and wrote, read this book and wrote a paper. We got to get it started somehow. So Grant, Michaela, you, you got a mic? Oh, yeah, you double prepared. Grant, don't preach. Don't give me a sermon. I will cut you off. But give me one of these that stand out to you as, oh, yeah, I've definitely said this, believed this, or certainly seen this in my life. Under a minute. Sheila's got one. Grant, you want to pass the, pass the, the mic there? Okay, so this is, this is kind of in, in our own lives. Um, in reality, whenever we got the opportunity to move, we didn't really look at it in terms of, you know, what church will we go to? We, we moved, and then we found a church. So what are you saying by that comment? Um, well, you know, the one, um, the somewhere buy houses, rent apartments, uh, and there's another thing, accepting a promotion without considering the effects of these decisions on the family and relationships. I mean, I can't say that we ever were in a church where anybody said, well, where are you going? What are you doing? Um, we're just like, well, we're moving to Atlanta, and, you know, this is what we're doing. So, I, you know, I, I, just, I guess this is confession time. We didn't, we didn't really, did we, dear? No. So I'll basically take what Sheila said is in most of or all of the major life decisions you made, it was a job or it was family, and then church kind of came as a result. Again, it's not a a one-size-fits-all. There are certain mercy situations. There are certain providential things. I think, think though, what you're saying in light of this is how often, as we think about what will provoke me or promote me to not do something or do something, the church kind of gets the back seat. And I can tell you at Capitol Hill, I can't count how many, I mean, this was the millennials. It was 20s and 30s. I'm going off to Manhattan. I'm going off to this and this. And, you know, I'm going to go rule the world. I'm going to do this and then work for Google, da, 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 da. And then we would always stop and say, that's great. That's fine. That's wonderful. Do you know of a solid local church that will care for you, disciple you, and shepherd you like you've seen here? Crickets. So you're going to literally pick up your whole life, gut what you've experienced here without any forethought of where you're going to land spiritually. And what we would say is, you have freedom to do that in your Christian liberty, but is it wise? And in three years from now, are you going to regret doing this? So it's just one of those things where it's not a law, but it could be just a pause for, hey, many people just don't think like that. And it's useful to get it in the conversation. So that's a good example, Sheila. Anyone else? Grant, you got something cooking? Well, yes, I do. <laughs> um, 
When you look at the last point, you know, Christians don't realize uh, that they are partly responsible for both spiritual welfare and the physical livelihood of other members of their church. Um, You know, where I've where I've been raised in churches um, around here and, and what I've been taught, um, it, it was not, that was not something that was really focused on. People come to church every Sunday, but then they'd leave and go their separate ways. No one was ever responsible for anyone, and most of the time you wouldn't see that taking place where someone would take responsibility for each other mm. and hold each other accountable. Um, consequently, you see a lack of spiritual growth in people's lives because they just go on about their life. Um, so I've seen that a lot. Um, Thank you, Grant. Good job, brother. There you go. That's good. confession time, but, you know, encouraging. Anyone else? Is it on? Oh, whoa. Jacob? It's on. Okay. Uh, Christians don't integrate their Monday to Sunday lives with the lives of other saints. I, I mean, I'll confess that like in our earlier marriage, we didn't do that. Or, or even when we came here to Fort Smith, I mean, we'd go to church, and we'd say, see you next Sunday. And that's about kind of how it was. Um, and then now it, it seems like people constantly complain that we're constantly doing something. Mm-hmm. So, you know, like, what do you mean you can't do it this Saturday? Oh, we're going to a murder mystery party. Um, so <laughs> um, anyway, uh, and that's just been it's been great. I like that people are all up in my business. So <laughs> we'll get you to write a book, and that'll be the chapter. That'll be that'll be my that'll be the chapter. I like that people all are right. all up in my business. So that's yeah. good. So less. See you next Sunday. More. Get up in my business. Slowly but surely, we're working through this entire church of inviting each one of y'all to our house like once a month. So I mean, it's 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 been slow but sure. Roy, Ann, and Katie were there just Thursday. So. Great. That's kind of how we're doing things here. We're in everyone else's business. We're, okay. in everybody else's business. we're going to get to know you. <laughs> dun, dun, dun. Anyone else? Anything resonate with you? Misunderstandings people have? Mr. Lester. I wasn't playing. Oh. <laughs> um, no, I, number, number two was a big one for me. I had no clue that being baptized had anything to do with membership, like at all. I thought it was completely untied. So you could be baptized, and all the, ex- well, majority of the experiences that I had had were that you were just baptized, and you could either join or, or not or, or whatever, because it was more private, more personal. Um, and I didn't see it as a, as a communal thing. Mm. Kind of a free agent Christian. Yeah, and that goes with number three, too, and with the Lord's Supper. So yeah. it's very similar. Anyone else before we move on? Resonate with you. Mark? For me, it's uh, the one that says Christians make major life decisions. I think I always looked at that was that I'm going to pray about these things. Um, But actually thinking about consulting the pastor or having close enough relationships in the church that I can go to them and trust them. Um, Man, it's, they're just, this church is amazing in that and the relationships that we have created since we've been here. I feel like I can go to you, Blake, or um, Alan, or Ian, or any, any of the men, and, you know, they're going to be willing to, to pray with me on the spot. They're going to be able to walk through those things with me, and, and it's going to be a continual thing. So mm. uh, that one really resonated with me. Mm. So, 
I'm thankful for this church. Awesome. Just to follow up, I think I can relate to almost every single one of these. Um, but because before our church, I wasn't ever taught any of this. I wasn't, it's always surface level. Um, it, I don't know, it just was, I wasn't taught any of this. So I, can, I feel like I can relate to every single one. Um, but to follow up on Mark, just a little encouragement. I think Blake and the elders have done an amazing job at really digging deep into each one of us and drilling how important the local church is to all of us mm. and the relationships that each one of you guys build with us. I can't tell you how much of an impact you've had just on my life, mm. but I can see it in everybody else's. Mm. Thank you. Praise God. Well, guys, this is just really a, a, a great conversation. Just continue to have it with whoever you live with, whatever friends you have. Think through ways of how we can help one another think more biblically, intentionally, more uh, other-centered rather than me-centered when we think about our lives, how we're thinking about the future, how we're thinking about finances, how we're thinking about everything. It doesn't mean we're not individuals. It doesn't mean that God can never take us away from here. He certainly can. Uh, but thinking through that more as a church family together. So in the last few minutes we have, I'm going to give you three uh, practical ways, but things that you know. This is why this message is called Refresh. I'm not going to share anything you don't already know, but it just kind of refreshes your mind. How can we walk down the path together towards faith and trust and, and actually help one another with unbelief and put to death these misunderstandings of the Christian life? or maybe just foolish and nearsighted ways of thinking through church membership. Let me give you a few. Number one, know the members, know who the members of CCBC are and intentionally encourage them and pray for them. Know who the members of CCBC are and be intentional to encourage them and pray for them. So if you have your Bibles, turn over to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. Alan's already alluded to this. He beat me to the punch. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. I just want to look again. We're not going to exposit this, just make some, some very quick remarks. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 12 to 15. So we want to think through, know who the members of CCBC are, know their names, know they're actually members, they're not visitors, and intentionally, so not accident, not passively, not coincidentally, intentionally encourage them and pray for them. Here's just some things to think about. 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 12. We ask you, brothers, to respect those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you and to esteem them very highly in love because of their work. Be at peace among yourselves. And we urge you, brothers, admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with them all. See that no one repays anyone evil for evil but always seek to do good to one another and to everyone. Friends, just keep in mind, I just call it the no-brainer, context is king. This letter, like all the other letters in the New Testament, are primarily written to churches, communities of faith. Even the few letters that are written to an individual, like Timothy, were to be read and dispersed to congregations. So when you hear all these verses about respecting and serving and loving and encouraging and admonishing, 
they're to be understood in a community like this, not just kind of you and a random stranger you meet somewhere. So when you hear these phrases, verse 12, Paul calls them brothers. That's how he addresses them. That's not a southern lingo. That's called being a Christian. We're a part of the same family. Verses 12 and 13, he says, show respect and highly esteem those who are serving in leadership and shepherding care in your life. Verse 13, very simply, pursue peace with one another. Be at peace among yourselves. Then in verse 14, I mean, if someone had to say, what's your philosophy of ministry in discipling? Beyond raising up leaders, 2 Timothy 2.2, this is kind of my go-to text almost every week if someone asks me. 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 14. Notice again what Paul says. And we urge you, brothers, admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with them all. In other words, we have to meet people where they're at and encourage them and warn them and come alongside them to help them go where they need to go, which is the way of faith, the the way of obedience, not the way of unbelief. We've got to intentionally meet people where they're at and show that patient care. And then in verse 15, it's really just echoing the loving disposition that should characterize all forgiven sinners who've been treated by God better than we deserve. Verse 15, repay no one evil for evil. So brothers and sisters, let me just ask you a question. Just, those are just very quick kind of drive-through verses. Do you view this local church, you're a member, like a family? Do you view Chaffee Crossing Baptist Church like a family? Paul calls them brothers. Not just out of habit, but because he means it. When you see another member out in public, so not here, like you're out in the community, do you greet them with a warm, brotherly or sisterly affection? Now, you don't need to be awkward. You don't need to be embarrassing. If this is not the appropriate time to give a big bear hug in front of everyone because you're standing in line at Walmart and you're just trying to check something out, that's just between you and that other person. But I always lean towards awkward because I want everyone to know, yeah, we're part of the same spiritual family. When I go to a restaurant, when I introduce myself to the waitress or the waiter, I usually say something like, hey, my name's Blake, and these are members, we're all members of the same church at Stonehouse at Chaffee, the uh, burger joint, that's literally how I introduce myself. All these guys here, we're members of the same church. You're welcome to visit us anytime you want on Sunday. I'm not ashamed of that. I'm in covenant with these brothers. I know they love me, they pray for me, uh, and they put up with me, and vice versa. And so I think there should be, even out in public, a sense of familial love towards each other. And just ask yourself, Do I have that kind of affection towards my brothers and sisters in this church? How often are you thinking about your brothers and sisters in this church throughout a given week? As Jacob alluded to, is it kind of just a see you next Sunday, out of sight, out of mind? Or do I actually kind of center my life around how can I integrate my life with more believers throughout the week? What are ways that I can intentionally encourage and pray for them. So here's some practical suggestions. None of these are new or novel. You already know this. Many of you do this. Uh, take the membership directory and send an email to a handful of members to let them know you're praying for them. Tell them ways you're thankful to God for them. 
Uh, Even try to point out evidences of God's work in their life that you see. Take the fruits of the Spirit in Galatians 5. Just pick them. See which ones that you've noticed in another believer's life. Encourage them. Just send, you can send them a card in the mail if you want to get old school. Charlie Hartsville does that for me. He sends me newspaper clippings of comics, and then he encourages me. And sometimes it's literally, Charlie's not here, but it's our relationship, so we can do this. He'd say, well, it's raining outside. I mean, I'm not lying. I mean, he's literally telling me what the weather's like. I'm like, well, that was like three days ago. But anyway... <laughs> But anyway, that's like our thing. He just sends me letters. Like, I don't need everyone to send me a letter, but it's kind of nice. It's different. It, it lets me know he's thinking about me. Use your homes as outposts for the kingdom. Breakfast, lunches, dinners. Uh, carve out some margin. You know, when brothers and sisters say stuff like, man, I've just been so busy lately. Well, who isn't? But what are you busy doing? And in that busyness, are you carving out margin for your spiritual family? Every life is going to have seasons where it's busier than others. But, you know, one thing Mark Dever taught me, he said, don't over-formalize a discipling relationship. I mean, you can do Bible studies. You can do all those things. But, brother, I take you to the dry cleaners with me. Yes, I literally would go to the dry cleaners with Mark. And you're like, what are you doing? We're just hanging out for like 15 minutes. We just walk to the dry cleaners, talk about our day talk about family, talk about life, and then we just get the laundry and walk back to the church and, all right, see you later, Mark. There's 15 minutes. Now, we're not in a city. I know you can't do that in the same way, but Jeff and Alan can walk down bug scuffle, you know, whatever, bug scuffle. I just like saying that, bug sc- you know, if we plant a church, bug scuffle, bad, anyway, sorry. But you know, whether that's going to the grocery store together, going to the store, uh, going fishing together, picnics, hiking, watching a movie, Find ways for people just to be a part of what you like to do. It doesn't have to be overly formalized and dense and serious. we got to have those, but think of ways that you can have people jump on the train of your life to get to know you and you get to know them. All right, number two, share with the elders how you're growing as a Christian. And then ask the elders for advice or help if you're in a tough situation. Share with the elders how you're growing as a Christian. Ask the elders for advice or help if you're in a tough situation. So as elders, there's four of us. We are here to walk alongside you as we follow Jesus together. We do that through our public teaching, but we also do that through private counsel, lobby conversations, text message advice, email correspondence, couch conversations. As I alluded to this morning, if you're unsure how to handle a difficult and awkward situation, maybe you are dialoguing with a wolf. You are dialoguing with a snake. There's only a few things that get me really angry. Messing with my wife, messing with my kids, and messing with my flock. I want to know if you're in a hard situation and you feel scared, you feel like someone's manipulating you or duping you or deceiving you, whether it's an excommunicated church member or someone in your family, I want to know. Not because I'm a bounty hunter, because I want to protect you. And the elders want to protect you. We want to pray for you. We want to encourage you. We want to give you advice on how to handle that hard situation, whether it's a text, 
you received out of the blue, whether it was an awkward conversation at the softball field, whether it was, whoa, didn't see that coming, we ran into each other at the play, and man, it was super weird. Brother, I need help. That's what we're here for. We're the generals trying to get their troops ready for battle. Tell us if you need ammo. Tell us if you need cover. Tell us if you need us to get in the trenches. I've shown up to houses at 10 o'clock at night. I've shown up in people's living rooms, and these elders will do the same. We're here for you. Don't fight this battle alone. And even on a lighter note, if you get a job offer to go to, you know, New York or Washington, D.C. or Fayetteville, you know, you're just like, I don't know, should I take this job? Include the elders in that. We're not going to tell you what to do. We're not infallible, but we want to help you. We want you to think about those things. And it didn't have to be a job. I mean, it could be whether I should retire or what should I do with this disposable income or should we allow my, you know, mother-in-law to live in with us? Sheila, that was not a mark to you. That's just, you know, it's just previous pastoring experiences where people have said, what do I do? Anyway, what am I doing? I'm digging a hole. <laughs> what was I thinking? No, that was even in my notes. Bad me. Anyway, but if you're in situations where you're just like, ah, I don't know what to do. You know, this isn't like, you know, who wants to be a millionaire, phone a friend. You've got elders to help you. And we, we are not the only people. There's other godly men and women in this church that are here to help you. We do not want to take away ministry from you. We're here to equip you to do the work of ministry, but we are here to help you in hard situations and in just practical advice. So inform the elders and tell us also how you're growing. We just, we want to hear some encouraging things too. We want to hear what God's teaching you, how he's growing you. Just even if it's a sentence, a letter, an email, anything, we want to rejoice with you of what God is doing in your life. Number three, this is basically it. Ask God to teach you to number your days and make every Lord's Day count for eternity. Ask God to teach you to number your days and make every Lord's Day count for eternity. Turn over to Hebrews real quick. Hebrews chapter 10. Hebrews 10, verses 23 to 25. Here's what God's word says. Let us hold fast to the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to store up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Friends, do you realize every day we wake up, we are one day closer to meeting Jesus? Did you know that? Every day we wake up, we're one day closer to meeting Jesus. Every Lord's Day, we get another opportunity to learn how to love our Lord, our God, by sitting under his word and singing his praises. Every Lord's Day, we get the opportunity to help another believer Lean into faith and not unbelief. How do we practically do that? How can we do that more faithfully? How can we intentionally make the most of our Lord's Day gatherings to count for eternity? Try and get a good night's sleep on Saturday. Wake up on Sunday and read the sermon passage to prepare your heart. Show up to church 15 to 20 minutes earlier or think of ways to linger afterwards. 
just to have one meaningful conversation with someone. Mix it up where you sit from time to time. Now, I've got to stay over there because it's the closest to the stage. So I know I'm going to sound like a hypocrite when I say that. But mix it up from where you sit from time to time. Don't get stuck in a rut. I used to drive Julie crazy. When I wasn't a pastor, we would be at First Baptist Church of the Islands in Savannah, and I would say, Julie, we've got to keep moving around. We've got to meet new people. And she's like, I can't sit up front. Not that close. And I was like, okay, okay, we'll, we'll sit on the very side front. You know, we would just go all over the place. And it was wonderful to have musical chairs because I got to know people in that 500-person church. I wouldn't have known if I just would have, I cannot look to my left. You know, move around. We've got space. It's a basketball gym. Get comfortable. And friends, if you see a member absent from our Lord's Day gathering, make a note of it. We're not hiring detectives. We don't put barcodes on people's backs. We're not stalking people. But if they are a covenant member of this body, they publicly and formally pledged to fulfill that church covenant before God and before us. Friends, the scriptures are so clear. All we like sheep go astray, each to our own way. That could be us. That could be our best friend. It could be someone you don't know. But if you look in your directory and you go, you know, I haven't seen that person here in a while. Well, there might be a legitimate reason why. And there might not be a legitimate reason why. And so be mindful of that. That's not just an elder's job. That's, that's every member's responsibility. Now, if you turn to page five, I'm not going to go through this. This is just for you to comically do on your own. This is the should you go to church on Sunday diagram. I just encourage you to read it with your family and read it out loud and uh, use it on your refrigerator and use it however it's applicable to your life. I have my membership directory with me and I'm going to do this in a brief fashion. And Ian, what we'll probably do is I'll just close the night. I mean, unless you really want to, do y'all want to sing or do y'all want me to end in prayer? Okay, okay, okay. All right. I'm just going to end this on this note. We're going we're gonna to scrap singing tonight, and I just want to end on this note. As I read the names of our members, if you've got a pen or a, or a phone, just if a name pops out, you know, I haven't seen them in a long time. Or, you know what, I'm going to pray for them this week. I'm going to encourage them. I'm going to send that email that Pastor Blake was talking about. If a name just comes up, I'm not looking for any mystical, I heard a voice, just leave that between you and Jesus because these are the members that we are in covenant with until God releases us to go elsewhere. Adam Baker, Angie Baker, Carla Bean, Charlotte Boddicker, Blake Boylston, Julie Boylston, John Bradford, Candace Bradford, Lisa Busella, Kayla Burton, Michelle Burton, Anna Cabanas, Marcy Cabanas, Ian Chain, Leslie Chain, Pam Chain, Tom Chain, Emily Chitwood, Mindy Clark, Stan Clark, Andrew Coles, 
Sarah Coles, Alva Corley, Mike Corley, Sarah Curlin, Daryl Daly, Michelle Daly, Jack Davidson, Joanne Davidson, Cindy Greeby, Jack Hannon, Jeff Hannon, Susan Hannon, Becky Hartsfield, Charlie Hartsfield, Cindy Harwood, David Harwood, Hannah Hinton, Krista Hinton, Randall Hinton, Ashley Janice, Michael Janice, Wilson Klutz, Amber Lawhorn, Michael Lawhorn, John Lax, Sheila Lax, Claudia Lefwich, Hugh Leftwich, Bobby Lester, Bryson Lester, Casey Lester, Jansen Lester, the island of Lester, Les Lester, McKaylin Lester, Danielle Litchford, Matt Litchford, Ann Myers, Katie Myers, Roy Myers, David Nixon, Karen Nixon, Brad O'Brien, Julie O'Brien, Christina Pate, Jeff Pruitt, Megan Pruitt, Samuel Pruitt, Trisha Rackley, Chris Reibel, Emerson Reibel, Lori Reibel, Brittany Ransom, Jeremy Ransom, Mark Reichert, Miranda Reichert, Michelle Rome, Scott Rome, Elizabeth Roberts, Jacob Roberts, Jordan Small, Dorinda Smith, Jason Smith, Grant Trotter, Hannah Trotter, Stephanie Trotter, Catherine Vanderpoel, Matt Vanderpoel, Angela Wiggins, David Wiggins, Sid Wiggins, Alan Williams, Lily Kate Williams, Sandy Williams, Jeremy Wilson, Stacy Wilson, Jackson Wing, Lindsey Wing, Gigi Wooten, Greg Wooten, Kate Wooten. These are not merely names. These are souls. Let's pray that we would care for one another until the Lord calls us home in glory. Let's pray. Father, we pray that you would cause us to be a church that truly reflects your glory, that we would intentionally love one another, serve one another, be patient with one another, pray for one another, encourage one another, pursue one another. Lord, we pray that you would prick our hearts, cause us to reevaluate maybe misunderstandings we've had about what it means to be a committed member to your body. Lord, we also pray that the rest of our members who aren't with us tonight, Lord, that they would be able to gather with us again soon. And Lord, we also pray for the future members who will join CCBC, Lord, that they would be enfolded in and deeply loved. And Father, if we find ourselves in hard situations, whether it's life decisions or difficult relationships, that the members would feel they could trust their elders, that we could help guide them through those difficult waters. And Lord, in all these things, Lord, we pray you would teach us to number our days, that we may have a heart of wisdom. Lord, help us intentionally think about how we use our Lord's Day gatherings. 
never knowing which Lord's Day gathering will be our last. And Lord, we pray that you would receive honor, glory, and praise through whatever way you want to use our ministry for your kingdom purposes. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen.